Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. You, you may remember, if you were here, I broke a pot, right? Here's the pot. It's a, a, a container of epoxy and several hours of work, especially from one of my kids who helped me put this together. Um, later, um, some of the pieces are back. Uh, it, it's, it's useful for a purpose. Um, I, I love Dr. Smalley's story there because it reminds me that God can redeem anything. He can take anything that's broken and he can put it back together. And mind you, God does a much better job than I do with a bottle of epoxy. Um, when God begins to put things back together, these gaps that are here, there may be cracks. There, there may be fissures where, where water might think it might seep in. But God wraps himself over our broken lives and he makes it whole. Um, we sang a song this morning, and one of the lyrics in the song goes like this. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end of all my sin. That is the hope of the gospel. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him, Jesus, and pardon me. This is the great message of the gospel that no matter where you come from, no matter what you have done, you can find healing and hope in his name. Your story, your life can be repurposed for the glory of God. Amen? I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, Deuteronomy 30, which Stacy shared this morning, something she, she read from that struck my, 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 um, my, 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 my mind, my heart. It says there, God's come to Israel and he's setting before them, you know, choose life, uh, choose death. If you go this way, Israel, if you follow in your own ways, you're, go you're not going to experience the life you want. But if you follow my ways, you're going to experience the life that I always wanted you to have, this side of heaven. And it says, um, choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Love the Lord your God. Obey him. Remain faithful to him. But then it says this, for he is your life. We looked at Colossians 3 last week, and we're going to be there again this morning. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Colossians 3. One of the things that Colossians 3, beginning in the first four verses, says this. It says, Christ is our life. The brokenness that God set out to redeem and to make whole is found alone in him through his son, Jesus. And just as we begin this morning, I invite you to pray with me. Our Father and our King, we, we, we take a moment this morning just, just to remember all, all the lives of people that have been affected by abortion. And God, it's not, it's not just the children lost to abortion. It's also the brokenness and the fear and the aloneness and being scared and, and being sometimes just very anti-God. And God, even in our worst, darkest, deepest moments, God, you meet us 
and you offer us life. God, no matter our past today, we can find hope and healing in Jesus, and we thank you for that. We, we, we don't have to find um, guilt and shame anymore because, God, in Christ, you have nailed all those things to the cross, and you have given us a new identity, a new life when we trust you by faith. God, would you reveal to us the things that we hold on to today? Would you help us to seek your glory and honor in our lives? For some of us, that may be addressing some areas that we've held secret for very long. But God, I thank you that you love us and you call us to love one another. And so, God, God, we can bear one another's burdens, whether it's this or whether it's something else. God, we can bear each other's burdens. We, we can encourage one another and share with one another that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Because on Christ, the solid rock, we stand all other crowned as sinking sand. We find our life, we find our hope again in you today. Christ, you are our life. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Together we say, amen. Amen. Well, we are going to be, as I said, in Colossians chapter 3, and we're kind of beginning, or not beginning, we're, we're, we're taking like a part two from last week. Last week I said to you, um, before God calls us to the world, because God clearly calls his people to the world, he calls us to himself, right? Everything we need is found in Jesus. And before God calls us to make disciples, he calls us to himself because the first and most important thing about making disciples is being a disciple. If I could phrase it the way I heard it said several months ago, if, if I can encourage you towards one thing, it would be this. Love the Lord. Find your identity and your worth in him. And when you do that, it will just flow from you the love that Christ has shown you. When you seek and you set your hearts and your minds upon loving God and falling in love with him and this relationship that you have with him through faith, that cannot help, but it just comes out, right? And maybe that's the reason for some of the cracked pots that we have in our life, to allow the life of Christ to ooze out from us to the world around us. And so we're going to look at the last, at the um, verses 5 through 17 of Colossians chapter 3 today. And so last week was before God calls us to the world, he calls us to himself. And today is this, because God calls us to himself, he calls us to the world. See, they, they both matter. God always calls us to himself first, but as a result of what he's doing in your and my life, he always calls us to be the hands and the feet to the people around us for his glory. So would you stand with me this morning as we read the scripture together? And I'm going to begin in Colossians 3. I'm going to begin in, in verse 1 just by way of context from last week, and we'll read then 5 through 17. So he says, if you have been raised with the Messiah... Seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not what is on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah and God. 
when the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, God's wrath comes on the disobedient, and you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ, there is not Greek or Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Can you tell that Jesus matters a lot to Paul? Just saying, he does. Therefore, verse 12, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Accepting one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. Above all, above all, he says, put on love. The perfect bond of unity. And let the peace of the Messiah, to which you were also called in one body, let, let him control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message of the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Whatever you do, whatever you do in word or in deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him our father and our king would you help us would you be our teacher o holy spirit to 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 understand the word of god this morning god we need you we thank you for your presence among us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So, because God calls us to himself, he calls us to the world. Um, one, of the, um, one of the things that we find in this passage is that there's command after command after command. And one of the easy things to do when we enter into this, um, these passages that have all these commands, it's like, okay, man, now I have another rule to follow. Another list of don't do, don't do, don't do, 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 do. And pretty soon we have this, um, we, we can have one of two responses are, are, are common. The first one is, there's no way I can do that. I just chuck it away and I go live my life however I want. And I'm like, well, God's grace has saved me. I'm just going to go do what I want to do right now. All right. That's one way we can go. Another way we can go is we can say, I didn't do, and I didn't do, and I did do. And it becomes this checklist by which we begin to find our identity and our worth in what we do instead of in who God has made us and called us and redeemed us to be. Right? 
You have to remember, we have to remember that for Paul, all of this starts with Christ because Christ is his life. The, the core of who Paul is, is he is in Christ. I, I, I think if you were to come to Paul, Paul would not say, oh, by the way, I can do this and this and this and this and this. He would say, let me tell you the one who has given me identity, purpose, meaning, and fulfillment. Let me tell you about the one who's given me life and his name is Jesus. In fact, Paul says in Philippians, he says, I could tout my credentials, you know. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was born a Hebrew of Hebrews. I was a Pharisee. I was zealous concerning the law. And he says this, all these things I consider dung. I consider them rubbish compared to one thing, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For Paul, it all funneled through this. And when he spoke with people, all of everything he said funneled through this this pathway, and that is Jesus. Can I tell you about Jesus? Can I tell you about Jesus? Because for Paul, he had experienced radical transformation, and it couldn't help but come out. So we have all these do's and these don'ts in this passage. But I want to frame it kind of two ways. The, the first one is, a, um, is, is the phrase here in verse 5. In, in verse 5, he says, Therefore, put to death, all right? Therefore, put to death, all right? He's going to talk about things that need to be put to death, and then he's going to talk about things that need to be put, on, put off, and he's going to talk about things that need to be put on. Um, I love what one scholar says. Let me get my slides up here for you. One scholar says this, it's not about now I'm being a moral behaviorist, for Paul, the real issue, he says, is one of moral competency. In other words, for Paul, believers are made capable by God's grace to do God's will. That's what I mean. When, when Paul is always talking about Jesus, he's saying, by the way, in Christ, you have everything you need to do the will of God. Because he's given you his spirit. So when he says to this, and when he says to them, put to death, he's talking about something in, in the way in which they used to walk. Now, it's interesting here. Uh, the, the word put to death, it's the word necru. Can you say necru? Necru. Necro. Actually, maybe it's necro. I should know that. But yeah, it's necro because you have the omega at the end there. Um, but it's necro. Say necro. Say it properly this time. Necro. That was my bad, not yours. And it means this. It means to put to death. It means to stop utterly. Now, what's interesting about this word is the other time it's used, notably in the New Testament, it's used with relation to Abraham, all right? In Romans chapter 4, Paul is talking about Abraham, and he's talking about how Abraham was promised by God that he would have a, a nation that comes after him. The problem is, is Abraham is 75 years old when he receives this promise. His wife is 10 years younger, and they don't have any kids. This was a problem, and, and for the next 25 years, Abraham kept trying a whole bunch of different ways in order to fulfill God's promise for God. And God kept saying, let me do it in my own time. And so in Romans chapter 4, it says this, he, talking about Abraham, did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body to be already dead. All right? It's the same word. Abraham considers his own body to be dead, and Paul tells us, since he was about 100 years old, which biologically speaking, there's no way this is going to happen naturally, 
right? And also the deadness of Sarah's womb. So, so Abraham's looking at this, and if you've been reading through Genesis with us, you've read this story recently. They, they try to do all these things in order to make God's promises come to fruition, but it's when they recognize, after 25 years of this, God's going to do this in God's perfect timing, and it's going to be something that he's going to have to do, because it's something certainly we can't do, and they finally kind of uh, reconciled that in some way in their heart. When, when he does this, what happens? Paul says, he did not waver in unbelief at God's promise, but he was strengthened in his faith and he gave glory to God because he was fully convinced that what God had promised, God was also able to do. So when Paul's talking about put to death or to stop utterly, he's talking about something that God is having to do. He's talking about something where God has had to step in and where we have to trust that God has done this on our behalf through Jesus. And so he says, put, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. And he gives this list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, the word idolatry there is interesting because it comes from the word, a word which means to worship. It's basically worship or service to an idol. Put to death all these things in which you've served other idols, God is saying, instead of me. And this is something positionally that God does through Christ when we come to faith and trust in God's redemptive initiative in our life. He says this, he says, you once walked in these things. These things, for, for the believers, even though they may have certain struggles still with these things, what Paul is saying, you once walked in these things, he's basically saying, you are positionally dead to these Right? These do not comprise who you are because for Paul, these people are in Christ. And he wants to call them to live as they are in Christ. But, but he's saying, put, put to death that which God has already put to death. The guilt and the shame of all these things, all of that has been nailed to the cross. Put it to death. You once walked in these things, verse 7, and when you were living in them, walked in these things when you were living in them. So this was a way that they used to walk, all right? So they used to have this certain kind of clothing about their life that was darkened by black. That was darkened by sin. Don't worry, I have another shirt underneath this. All right? Just didn't want to scare you there. Uh, <laughs> my wife said, make sure you tell them or something like that. Their lives were darkened by sin. They were darkened by blackness. And he says, I want you to put these things to death. I want you to take all of that and reckon it gone because it's gone in Christ. It's gone in Christ. And I even wore my baptism shirt, right? Because of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. By the way, we're going to celebrate baptisms in two weeks. We've got, we handed out a couple shirts recently for this. And because of this, we have life. This is now our new identity. We are in Christ. That's who we are. And what Paul's going to say to this church, he's going to say, I want you to walk in light of who you are. In light of this. And then he's going to say, I want you to put off certain things. He says, let me get there. You must also put away 
It's another imperative here. All the following, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. All right? He's saying these things are no longer in keeping with who you were because you're now someone new. Put those things away. Set them aside. The word uh, here for put away literally means to strip off clothing. Uh, In the ancient period, uh, they would often go into Roman baths, and there they would conduct business, they would would have social gatherings, they they would get clean and all these kind of things. They go into these Roman baths, and part of that is they would go and they would get clean. They would literally take off their garment, go into the steaming bath, and then they'd come out sometime later cleaner, probably smelling better too at that point. He's like, I want you to take these things off. I, I, want, I want you to put them away. Let's see if I have this word for you. Yeah, put, put away. It, it's the word apekduomai, and it means to take off or to strip off clothing. Paul is painting a vivid picture here. He's saying, I want you to change your clothes. I want you to get rid of all these things that you've walked around and you continue maybe to walk around in, in the past. And I want you to, to walk in who you are in Christ. And I want you to put on the blood of Christ, which covers your sins. And I want you to go ahead and, and then begin to change your clothes. Put these things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language. He says, do not lie to one another since you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self. Paul's expectation is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the calling they've received, not to earn God's favor, not to find their identity in what they do, because their identity is always found in whose they are. But he wants whose they are to reflect whose they are. And so he wants them to begin to put on certain things that would demonstrate the work and the love of Jesus to the world. He says this um, uh, in, let me find it right here. He says it this way. Do not lie to one another. This is verse 9. Since you've put off the old self with its practices, you've put on the new self. All right? So now he's talking about put on. And it's actually, it's interesting there because the, the way it's wor- worded, it's a participle, which basically means this. You are putting on the new self. You, you are in a continuous action of putting on Christ every single day. And then he says, you're putting on your new self. You are being renewed in the knowledge of of your creator. Sorry, you're being renewed according to the image. Sorry, let me read this properly. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. I had to read it properly because I want you to see something here. When Paul says this, he's He's highlighting this process for the Christian. We call it, big word, sanctification. Becoming more like Jesus. It has to do with this renewing of the mind. Um, When God redeems us, he gives us a new spirit. But there are certain parts of our life that are not yet fully redeemed. One of them is our bodies, which is why we struggle still with illness and we struggle with pain. We stub our toe, we hurt, because we live in a broken, fallen world where we're still subject to some of those things. Not in our identity, not in who we are. But the other thing, um, we, well, we can look forward to as well, that one day God will give us new bodies and we won't have that problem anymore. 
But, but the other thing that, that's really God is sanctifying in us is he's sanctifying our mind and our will and our emotions. He, he's sanctifying us to make us more like him. Romans 12 puts it this way. Um, it says there, In view of God's mercy, brothers, offer yourselves as living sacrifices to the Lord, holy and acceptable to him. He says, don't be conformed by the patterns of this world, but, but be transformed. And how does he say that? He says, by the renewing of your mind. It's this continual process that God is inviting us into. Where, where our identity is not placed on what we've done and all these kind of things that, we, that we've experienced in our past or in our present. Rather, our identity is placed in who God says we are. But this process, God knows, is a process because oftentimes we have these patterns of our flesh in our life that we struggle with and we struggle with and we struggle with. But we have to take these lies about who culture says we are and who our neighbor says we are, maybe who our friends say we are. We have to say, is that true? And as we do that, we go back to God's word, we find that we are, we are holy. We, we are justified that we are God's children. Later on he, here, he's going to say in verse 12, therefore God's chosen ones, holy and loved. Right? That's who you are in Christ. The lies of all the systems and the people in the world that tell you otherwise are simply that they are lies. And the way we combat lies is with the truth of God's word and having it renew our minds. Because it renew, as it renews our minds, thinking God's thoughts about us continually begin to change our will and our emotions. What we desire to do and how we feel about what we do. This is called the process of sanctification. Right? It doesn't mean that we no longer sin. It means that God calls us to walk in a different way. And so when we sin, what we're doing is we're struggling with the ways in which we used to walk. Uh, scripture calls it flesh. We, we struggle with these ways that we used to walk because we have patterns built in here. But part of making us more like himself. And it says here, it says, you are being renewed in knowledge. So, so, so knowledge is very important to this component but you're being renewed, he says, to the image of your creator. God's desire as a part of the renewal process is to bring back to wholeness that which he created us for back in Genesis 1 and 2. I won't go through the whole um, story of the longer gospel, you know, the creation and the fall and all that. Kind of, but when God creates, he creates man in his image after his likeness. And he creates them with purpose and dignity and worth. And he says, I want you to follow me in this way. That's only broken because of man's rebellion. But he wants to redeem and to restore the proper image of God in his people. Because as we walk in the proper image of God, we reflect his glory. We, we reflect who he is to one another and to everything in our world. So, so he says, change your clothes, take all these things off, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, 
Don't lie to one another. You've put off this old self with practices. You've put on the new self. You're being renewed in knowledge to the image of your creator. Now, it's interesting, too. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, when he talks about image here, in 1, verse 10, he says, So that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and growing in the knowledge of God. All right? Part, part of this is walking worthy is, is having this spiritual understanding of the knowledge of God's will. And in chapter two, he talks about this image component again in verse two. He says, I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that you may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. For Paul, Christ is at the center of everything he is and does. So, we have, we have that. Now he wants to put on certain practices. Put, put on the practices that, not, that, that now describe who you are. I don't have the word in here for this. It's the word enduo, and it means to put on, to dress, or to clothe. So when God says, I, I want you to put on something new, he's talking about something that only he can do. Only something that can be done in the power of Christ in your life. So he, he has this list here, and this is an imperative. So we have something to do with it, but it has to be God working through us for this to actually happen. He says, I want you to put on, chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't put those things on, right? You're in, you're in your car and you're driving and you're wondering why the person in front of you at the green light hasn't turned yet. Patience has not been put on in my life. What is happening is anger and frustration. You, you, you come to um, humility, right? Humility is this understanding that I am not the most important person in the world. That's one that we struggle with. Like, even if we're this small, we struggle with humility. Because we grew up thinking we're the center of everything. But he says, no, I, I want you to put on humility. I want you to put on kindness and compassion, gentleness and patience. Not only that, I want you to, he says, I want you to put on accepting one another. Now, what's interesting about this word accepting is it doesn't mean um, that we condone everything that someone does. The word accepting here in its original context, you could translate it as, I want you to endure with one another. Right? I want you to put on Christ so that you begin to endure with one another, that, that you forbear with one another. I, I, I want you, he says, to tolerate one another. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm not the most tolerable person in the world. I, I get stubborn and I want to do what I want to do. And my family's amazing because they, they endure with me. All right? They don't just accept me because they'll, they'll also tell me usually when I'm being a jerk. But, but they say, you know, by their actions, don't do that, but we still love you and we will endure with you. The amazing thing about when, when God puts these clothes on us, or when we put on the clothes that God wants, 
through the work of Christ, we have these qualities that come out. Now, I love it too, because accepting one another, or this tolerate, bear with, or endure, it's a participle, which means it's a continual action. It's something that we continue to do, and and it's a word that describes humble and gentle love in action. All right, you can go to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2. You don't need to do that right now, but later if you want to look it up, it talks about that same word there. It's this humble and gentle love in action. It's not the same as the modern definition of acceptance. It's loving someone despite who they are. Bearing with them as they also embark on this journey of putting on the clothes that God wants to give us. Not only does he say, I want you to have all these things and have accepting one another, he also says, I want you to forgive one another. And it, this is also a participle, all right? So this is, this is an ongoing practice for us. But he says, I want you to forgive one another, be forgiving of one another. Um, if anyone, and he gives commentary, if anyone has a complaint against another, all right? That's pretty broad. It, it means, I think, for Paul that, that he's expecting forgiveness to take place frequently in our marriages, in, in, in raising kids between friends, within churches. Forgiveness should be something that is practiced regularly. Why? Because he says this. He says, um, just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. He doesn't say forgive because they deserve it. He doesn't say forgive because you should. He says, have you experienced rich and deep forgiveness in your life? Part of being in Christ and finding your identity in him is walking in that same practice that Jesus has shown us. When Jesus looks at you and I, he offers forgiveness. He offers forgiveness. Now, the, the, the hard thing about forgiveness is there's a process for forgiveness. You know? for, forgiveness between two parties involves a degree of confession and repentance. And sometimes one, one party is ready to forgive and the other one's not. Sometimes they're both not. Sometimes they both are. Paul's encouragement here is within the church, you've, if, if you're in Christ, you've experienced forgiveness. As a result of that, with the power and the help of God, be ready to extend forgiveness. Be, be ready because that's a part of what it means to become more like Jesus. Sometimes we, we um, he, he says in, Jesus says in Matthew's gospel, he says, be quick to forgive. Like, like, Settle matters quickly with your adversary. It says in Matthew 5, I think it is, who is taking you to court, right? So you're going to court because you got something against each other. Uh, one of you is taking the other one to court. And he says, settle matters quickly. Do it while you are still with him on the way. He, he, he implores us, be a forgiving people. Walk in this truth. Walk in this light. There is great healing in forgiveness, even in talking about um, Sanctity of Life Sunday, th th there is so much bitterness and anger that we harbor against people. It's tough sometimes to forgive because at the cornerstone of forgiveness 
it, it means humbling ourselves before the Lord and saying, God, you've forgiven me. Help me to forgive. Help me to walk in this. Forgiving one another is very, very important within the context of the church and within the context of the community. He says this in verse 14. He says, above all, all right? So he wants to highlight something here. There's something above all. (laughs) Above all, he says, put on love. Put on love. The perfect bond of unity. The perfect bond of unity. When Paul is writing this section of text here, when he says you, it's a plural you. He's talking to a church. When he talks about take this off and put this on, he's talking about in the context of a church. When, when now it applies to the individual as well, but he says this is the perfect bond of unity. The thing that brings unity to the local body of believers is love. It's love. Uh, one one um, scholar once said, without love, there can be no such thing as a church. Think about that. Without love, there can be no such thing as a church. The one mark, he says, which should distinguish a true church is love for God and love for the brethren. And, and I, I totally stole my definition of love from my first senior pastor here, Pastor Mike. And he always used to say this. He says, love is a decision, an act of the will to bring to bear all the resources that God has given you to meet the needs of someone else without expecting anything in return. Love has nothing to do with emotions. Emotions are the train on the caboose. (laughs) To love, to forgive, it's a decision. It's an act of the will. To say, you know, here's what Christ has done for me. God, would you help me to walk and to forgive in the same way you have forgiven me? It's this conscious, active choice. And and where there's one party who is ready to forgive and the other one is not ready to forgive and there's still this fracture here, guess what? Always be ready to forgive. You know, Scripture says it this way. I think it's in Romans. As far as it is possible with you, live at peace with all people. Paul says, above all, put on love the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of the Messiah to which you were also called in one body, let it control your hearts. And he says, be thankful. What should occupy a Christian's mind, heart, space? It should be Christ and the peace of Christ and the love of Christ Because when we understand how much we've been forgiven and when when God sinks that deep into us, we become more and more a people who are ready to reflect that to the world around us for the glory of God. It is possible and often in this day and age in which we live that many people are hurt by the church. Typically, they're hurt by a person, not hurt by a whole community. It's utterly and vastly important that we come to Christ and we walk out of our fullness in him and allow his peace to be that which guards and and drives us. The, the, The word here for the peace of God, control your hearts, literally means to let the peace of God be the umpire in your heart, right? It's a, it's a, um, 
it's a word that has to do with athletic. Uh, so, so if you're, uh, if you're an umpire at a baseball or softball game, you're the one who makes the call. All the players have to live by the call. Sometimes they don't like that. <laughs> what Paul is saying is that let, let God's peace be your umpire. When, when anger or frustration or malice or envy come, pray for God's peace to be that which rules your heart through faith. Too often in relationships, we want to sometimes throw up our hands and walk away. And we, we often will justify this in a host of ways. God desires that we seek his face, walk in the grace given through Christ. And what comes from this is humility, gentleness, forgiveness, and love. In fact, when we begin to see these characteristics, it's one way that God confirms to us, you're walking according to my path. You're walking in the spirit when these fruits come, because the only way these fruits happen is when Christ shines through us. Now, a, a great test of, of all this is found in verses 16 and 17. It says here, it says, um, let the message of Christ, and that's actually an imperative. He's saying the message of Christ must dwell in you richly, among you, all right, among the community. But he says teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. By the way, it's a worship pastor's favorite verse because it's just another command to sing, right? Um, with gratitude in your hearts to God. He says in verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the Father through him. A great test of am I walking with Christ is this. Is the message of the Messiah dwelling, inhabiting, occupying? You could translate all those ways. Dwelling, inhabiting, or occupying us. Is the message of Jesus first in our lives and in our community? Is, is teaching and admonishing being done one, to one another with wisdom? Right? It, not just teaching from me to you, but from us to each other. This teaching, this admonishing, helping us each follow Jesus. Is that being done with all wisdom? Wisdom comes from the Spirit. Is that a practice that's growing in our lives? It's a great test. Does our praise, in other words, our psalms, our hymns, and our spiritual songs, does it display gratitude in our hearts to God? Gratitude is an amazing, amazing thing which takes the the focus off of our situation, and it says, you know, God, thank you. It's really challenging for a thankful heart um, to be angry and bitter and all these kind of things. If you're truly thankful, you begin to see everything as God's grace at work in your life because God's grace can only produce that. Our speech and our deeds, and, and you know, I love the way Paul says it. He says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, you know, he, he doesn't want to, like, give you an eye room for not counting something. Is everything we do, whether word or deed, is it done in the name of the Lord Jesus? When you go to whatever you have before you after this, hopefully Sunday school or a meeting with, or a lunch with family or something later tonight or work tomorrow, when you go to that, is it being done in the name of the Lord Jesus? Does the conduct that God gives you power to walk out, is, is that which focuses your life 
or is it something else? Whatever you do, in word or deed, and the word here, do, means to make, manufacture, or produce. Everything you make, everything you facture, manufacture, everything you produce, is it being done as unto the Lord? Last week, I, I talked about brokenness. Brokenness is this conscious core awareness that I need God in everything. And then I broke a clay pot. Friends, we need God in everything. For us to be a people who reflect the image of God to the world, we can't do it without him. It means that he's going to use all of who we are. Worship team, go ahead and come up for right now. It means he's going to use all of who we are and all of our past and all of our brokenness and all of our mistakes. But when we surrender all these things to him, knowing there's no way, God, I could actually make all of this put together in a way by myself. This conscious core awareness that we need God in everything becomes actually the way in which we show the power and the love and the grace of Jesus to our world. Before God calls us to the world, he calls us to himself, and yet because God calls us to himself, he calls us to the world. Father, as we consider these words from Scripture, would you give us a heart to know you more deeply and to reflect your glory and your grace? God, how thankful we are for Christ. God, we just surrender our lives again to you today and we say, God, we need you in everything, in every hour, in every possibility. God, we need you. Lord, would you be glorified in our lives this week? Whatever we do, may it be done for your honor and for your glory as you work and you live through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616 772 4377.